Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Bill Bowes is the founder and CEO of Accrue, PLC a business that specializes in helping institutional and retail customers earn high interest on their cryptocurrency. Phil has more than 15 years of leadership experience in the fintech and asset management sectors and has, having spearheaded the scaling up of online trading platforms at several leading companies. As an expert in financial planning and wealth management, Phil spent four years during his time at a UK robo advisor, Wealth Wizards, speaking to over 10,000 retail investors about how they manage their money, and then designed a simple online tool to give advice and guidance to help everyday people improve their financial health. He's got a very impressive educational background, which I'm not going to detail here, but you'll see in the show notes. He's passionate about improving the financial health of all those he meets, and is the author of a personal finance book, The Money Triangle, proceeds of which support various financial educational charities. Phil, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, Phil, listen, we're, we're in an interesting time. I will tell the listeners we're recording this in the middle of June. So who knows in this, you know, this market what's going to happen, uh, you know, two and a half months could be an eternity. But, you know, we'll uh, just to give you a place and time. But before we get into, you know, obviously we mentioned, you know, your fundamental business is in crypto, which is why I made the comment I made. Uh, we're going to talk about some stuff around, you know, raising money through SPACs. But before we go to all that, uh, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because I'm, I'm sure running a fintech company in the crypto space was not it back then. <laughs> but you tell me. I, <laughs> I had some, I, was, I must admit, I, was, I, I got asked this question before and I realized I, was, I probably wasn't the most traditional like um, child in certain respects because I was, um, I used to take the newspaper, um, like the local newspaper and read it in bed at like eight to tw- eight to 12 years old. And and uh, but I wasn't reading news. I was reading the job adverts, you know, and sort of working out which were the higher paid jobs and things like that, which is a really odd thing to do in, in kind of retrospect. But, um, sure. you know, but it was always interesting. Like, Look, what, what's what's that big job? You know, I'm, I'm 12. Am I qualified for that yet? Probably not. You know, sort of <laughs> and um, I, don't, so I don't really know where that came from, if I'm honest. But um, in terms of what I probably wanted to do early, it was I loved the idea. I always said that I wanted to have a job where. I could earn a reasonable wage, but not have to wear shoes if I didn't want to. That was kind of, that was one of the ideas, like being outside. So I actually went on and did, uh, did geology at, um, at university as my, my first degree. And it was, um, yeah, it, it, it I did a bit of classroom time, but there's loads of time outside. You know, I spent a, had a six week uh, like trip over in, in a place called Alapahore, which is, uh, you know, back end of nowhere in Greece and kind of lived there and, you know, me and a few of my uh, my colleagues were, were kind of adopted by a local Greek family, and you know, doing 
Uzo and uh, and feta cheese up at their little property. It was great, you know, fantastic stuff. So it was a really, a really cool, cool uh, degree to do. And, you know, I think um, my father worked in the oil industry. So that probably had, had that was probably one play on it. And he'd always said, you know, the, you know, the discovery part of, of oil is kind of where, where the opportunity and kind of money is. So if you're going to get into oil industry, do that. Cause he was more on the sales and marketing side. And um, yeah, so, but it d- didn't pan out that way, but I, I had a lot of fun just uh, wasting time, you know, out in the digging through rocks and taking samples and things like that. So, yeah. <laughs> but what a great journey, you know, it's always interesting. Uh, I love asking that question because it's always interesting to see what people are interested in and how they came to where they are. And, and, you know, once in a blue moon, there's a straight line, but it's almost, it's almost never the case. Yeah. Um, good stuff. So one other question looking back, and that is what was your first deal of any type that you can remember? It could be something small when you were a kid or early in your career, you know, just an early deal that comes up, comes to mind. Um, I think, you know, I, I started off in, in kind of, uh, in, in sales really. And, um, you know, my first kind of deals were were helping people move move money abroad. So it was very much retail focused type thing. You know, in terms of the deals that I did uh, very early, it was all very very you know retail focused kind of sales. So helping helping people, I think it was helping someone buy a property in Dubai was probably the first one. So you know, first job out of uni, that was sort of the that was kind of the first thing I did, which was you know helping you know this person came to me saying they found a property, but wanted a really easy way of you know, the, the banks were ripping them off in terms of the money that they wanted to charge to convert it over to from, from at this point, GBP over well, British pounds to dirhams, you know, help them kind of structure a you know, better exchange rate, get the money over there and then, then you know, help them with parts of the deal. So that was probably one of the early ones. And yeah, you get a taste for it there, I think. Yeah. And and met some and spoke to some fascinating people, you know, trying to because, again, it, yeah, putting yourself where the money is, is always really interesting because, you know, these were individuals who were buying incredibly expensive property abroad during the sort of 2005 to, you know, 2007 kind of property or well, well, boom time at that point, the tail end of that, that first, um, that run up from the, from the, you know, which, which grew from the dot-com bubble bursting. And um, it, was, it was just learning from these individuals as to what they'd done to get to the point where they could buy, you know, multi-million pound properties abroad as second homes was a fascinating learning experience. Right. So we, you know, we, we gave a quick overview in your bio, but um just give us a couple of minutes on what Accrue does and, and uh, you know, what, what, what the core business is and who you serve. Yeah, so Accrue is, is essentially an app where we're taking the fairly complex world of crypto and trying to make it accessible and safe to the everyday investor. You know, increasingly what we're finding is, you know, crypto is, it's, it's created its own lexicon that's confusing everyone. So our job is just to demystify all of that and make it very, very accessible to consumer app. So customers come to us, um, they can deposit you know, the, the major major currencies, the normal currencies, or they can put existing crypto holdings onto the platform. And we help them earn the highest interest rates that they can find in the market on those. Yeah, many people who get into crypto, they you know, crypto 1.0 was sort of buy Bitcoin, hope it goes up. Um, you know, crypto 2.0 is, look, this is kind of a financial ecosystem that's flourishing. And, you know, there is a, it's quite difficult to understand if you're, if you're a novice to the, to the space, but you know, there is, it works in exactly the same way as the traditional financial markets. You know, you can lend assets, you can borrow them, you can, you know, you can, you can, and you can use your assets to do all sorts of things that you would. And, you know, and I think trying to help people through that process and do it safely is really what a cruise here to do. And I think increasingly with the way the market has evolved, especially in the last month or so, it's opened up a huge amount of opportunities to kind of broaden that 
and 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 give some sort of different products which are, we've launched in the last couple of weeks which have yeah landed very well despite market conditions great great ellison we'll talk a little bit about market conditions how can we not uh but before we go there so you also and, and we'll talk about market conditions about this thing we're about to, about to talk about as well uh, but you know you had a major deal where, uh, where you know you raised uh, capital right yeah can you talk us through that? Like um, it was pretty early on in the company's uh, yeah. Issue. I mean, it, it was that journey there. It it happened in in two stages really. So we always talk about being PowerPoint to PLC, uh, publicly traded company in ten months. That was kind of our our roadmap. And um, so we we started it off, and I'd been I'd been kind of doing the the MVP, the minimal viable product of of a crew for probably a year. And, um, you know, we, we got to the point where we were comfortable pitching external investors and we kind of did the, the pre-seed or pre-product round with friends and family. It was, a, you know, it was a good time to raise. This was sort of January of, uh, of 2021 and, and, you know, the market was picking up and especially in crypto. And there was obviously, you know, de- decentralized finance as a concept was becoming more widely known in the, in the investor community. You know, pretty, pretty, you know, first time founders, myself and my co-founder Digby, you know, we got out there, spoke to our friends and family and we, we raised a million dollars in pretty short order. So we, we did that. But I think and delighted that we did it. You know, we we knew straight away that look, this is an opportunity. I you know, crew is, I, I believe, a you know, billion dollar business in the making. But, you know, it's a competitive market and it's one where, you know, it's uh, investors want to see strong balance sheets and credibility is, 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 is very important. So the idea came and the opportunity came along towards the tail end of that sort of um, first million dollar seed round, which we closed out and, and, and got over the line. And that sort of allowed us to hire the staff, build the product. But then we got this sort of three month discussion where, you know, one of our contacts said, well, we've got a listed vehicle, which is trading on the UK um, Aquis exchange, which is sort of one of the junior exchanges in the UK. But you know, it's sitting there. It's got it's got seven investments already in it as a business, which were just you know minority stakes and other businesses. But you know, it's got eight million pounds in there, and you know, we would love to see that become more of an operational business. And the crew's a really good fit. You know, it was it was there to to support decentralized finance. You know, we had uh, we got to know the team that had put the SPAC together, and you know, they had a very very strong track record. They had um, they'd founded a, a company called um, Argo Blockchain previously, which they took from scratch to over a billion dollar valuation. It's now trading on the Nasdaq. Um, it's not a billion dollars at the moment, given what's going in the market, but at its peak, it was. Sure. And um, you know, and they'd done this you know almost a dozen times before. So very very strong team. Thought they could add a lot of value to the business, and you know, we haven't been disappointed. And, you know, enabled us just to do the deal um, very quickly and strengthen the, you know, the, the cap table um, in, a, in a very significant way, which given the market conditions we've now got into, you know, we've, we've, we've always been very conscientious with our kind of cash burn and things like that. And, you know, we were looking at a high growth, but now we're saying, what well, this is a market which doesn't really lend itself to really putting, you know, putting oil on the fire and aiming for, you know, because we were growing at 100% a month. But wow. you know, spending spending a lot of marketing as well at the same time. So you know, now it's a case of okay, well, let's let's you know, balance this out. You know, investors are quite bruised by this by this market environment. So you know, let's let's make sure we can conserve the balance sheet, then ride the next wave, which you know we feel is going to come in the next kind of twelve to eighteen months. So yeah, it, it put us in a really good position now, and I think the credibility of being a listed business, having a stronger balance sheet, you know, is why I think we're gonna we're gonna do well as as crypto markets pick up. Um, you know, tell them the next year. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting, right? Because, you know, the evolution of companies goes differently, right? In different, in different markets, even funded companies, you know, there's always this, uh, 
question of, 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 of speed to market, speed to raise capital, being able to accelerate stuff, but also sort of versus raising too much too early and maybe giving it you know, because the valuations aren't, you know, do, do, you know, do we, do we bootstrap it or, or, or friends and family, you know, to a certain level to get higher valuations, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm guessing certainly at that time, you know, you hit the market, you know, at the right time with the right, in the right, um, you know, vertical, right industry, right? So that you probably, uh, I mean, and you don't have to disclose obviously anything confidential about the deal, although probably some of this stuff because your public company is available. But um, but I'm assuming you had somewhat at least the best of both worlds in that you've got speed speed of capital and also uh, probably, you know, a nice valuations as well, yes? Yeah, I mean, for a yeah, for a young company, you know, it was a, it was a good valuation, you know, given that we were, you know, at that point still pre-launch, you know, so um, it's pay, it paid off in terms of the business growth, but you know, in terms of the the market's opinion of of crypto and SPAC public companies, it's um, it's you know that that's an area where I think this this latest move has been really interesting because we we were looking at ourselves well about three or four months ago. Probably, yeah, probably a bit more, say, say at the start of 2022. 20, uh, and, you know, our competitors are almost further behind us. Mm-hmm. You know, they are raising in pri- in the private markets, they're raising additional finance at like, you know, 5, 10x what we are, which, you know, so there's a huge sort of public private market discrepancy, which, you know, I think in the markets come down, but, you know, both markets have come down almost evenly. But, you know, we were, um, we were over in Austin last week um, for a big kind of Ethereum conference. And, you know, the, even with what's been going on, there was a deal everyone was excited about, which is a pre-product deal, uh, raising an evaluation of 180 million. You know, the, nothing's been built. It's a white paper. That's all it is. So, you know, the private market early stage kind of mania is still there. You know, I think there's there's ways as a public business that we can still you know have the best of both worlds, as you say, which is we can spin out other businesses and take advantage of private financing and private market valuations. And, you know, looking if, if this premium continues to exist and we can, you know, we've, we've got a, as a business, there's, you know, there's dozens of product lines that we can look at. That's a really attractive option that we can, you know, we can incubate these kind of companies, spin them out as, as private, raise them and then IPO them themselves. And I think um, that's quite an, that's quite an attractive strategy that I think, you know, this, this kind of discrepancy in valuations is is going to I think we're going to increasingly see that. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so listen, we've alluded to the to the market, to the crypto market, to the SPAC market. Um, you know, and you and I had a brief conversation before we went on air about you know likening aspects of this to you know you, you said to me, hey, you know, I was uh, I was managing money or financial advising on money, uh, you know, through the two thousand eight global financial crisis, two thousand eight nine ten, whatever it was. And then um, I also I've been around long enough. I mean, I remember Black Monday back in the, you know, the 80s, but let's uh, yeah. but more, more relevant here, the tech bust, right? You know, Internet bust, you know, in, in 2000, you know, which if you think about it, I mean, you know, I, I just was drawing some parallels in my mind. You know, obviously, you know, there's a panic a lot of times people run from the market, the weak players, you know, weed out. And there were even people back then I'm talking about in the, you know, in the, in the 2000 range, he was saying, you know, oh, internet's dead and whatever. Of course, we yeah. have the perspective of 20 plus years since then. And yeah, I mean, was there was there a shaking out? Sure. Did the weak players go? Sure. But obviously, we know what's happened with the internet generally, and we know what's happened, you know, with some of the survivors of that time. You know, maybe they had a pivot, et cetera. So, you know, I mean, I'll just say up front that I can't imagine that 
that same pattern is not going to happen, you know, uh, in this market. But you, you know, you know the market way better than I do. I mean, it's I, I could be, you know, I, I will be the first to say that you know, ninety five percent of crypto projects coins um, will die. You know, yeah. I think, but I also believe that the five percent left over will change change finance, you know, forever. So yeah, I think that when when investors are looking at the space, they should come with that kind of mindset. You know, ninety five percent of the of what I'm hearing about in crypto is never going to go anywhere you know and um you know identifying the amazons versus the pets.com you know is sort of the way to do it the, the way i always think of it as well which you know seems blindingly obvious when you say it but like when i speak to crypto investors and they're investing in some coin that they've just told me about i'm like well you do, do you use the core product you know yeah. so it sounds, and if you don't do you know anyone who does and usually it's no you know and so it's like well, what do you use? Well, you know, they just say, oh, well, I bought an NFT the other day. Okay, great. Well, how does it, how do NFTs work? Well, they're, they're on the Ethereum blockchain. So in order to buy that, that NFT, you had to buy Ethereum, you know, and it's sort of like, so it's, you know, Ethereum has this value. Bitcoin has value in the fact that it's just, everyone sees it as the, you know, the OG sort of like, you know, crypto coin with, with, you know, it's truly decentralized. It's a store of value and these sorts of things, but, you know, outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum, you, you really need to do your homework because, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there which is really difficult to look at. I mean, um, really difficult to justify in terms of valuations and things like that. But um, I, I'm a, I, I love you. You mentioned the the eighty seven crash and you know um, October eighty seven I think it was. You know these these are things that I I love I love looking back because for me like you know you know obviously it's market conditions change but understanding you know the past sort of booms bust manias is really important. You know I always have the stats in my head for these sorts of things, especially with what's going on in finance now. But you know, the average sort of um, bear market in um in the states peak to uh, peak to trough of 33 percent is sort of what you see on average it takes over sort of 18 months to kind of come out of that that bear market on average so and that's that's like 150 year kind of average so you know we're sitting here at the moment and you know the s&p is down 22 percent from its highs um you know nasdaq's down 33 percent so it's like okay is it going to be an average bear market or is it going to be a nasty one you could argue you know with the with the scale of the unwinding of the fed balance sheet that we're going to see it's really, you know it could be worse than we expect and you know we haven't seen inflation for a while so you know but it it kind of gives me some comfort about around you know what the expectations and um you know sadly you can do the same thing in crypto um yeah so there's it's a much shorter market but you know as i said before the call yeah crypto is is like traditional markets on fast forward you know the the pace of innovation is sort of 10x what you see elsewhere so like you know one year in crypto is like 20 years in, in finance um, right. you know we've seen four bear markets before and you know on average you're looking at around about an 80 percent um drop in prices so you know everyone is running you know running around going a bit mad at the moment but you know, Ethereum's down 70 percent and you know Bitcoin's sort of around about the same so 70 percent drop so we're not at the average yet. And let's be honest, we've never seen crypto in an inflationary environment. So, you know, there's a whole lot of other things. But I do always say like the, the thing that's really interesting, which is coming into crypto, which I think is people should really reflect on here. The tech hasn't changed. The, you know, the, the, the problems it's trying to solve aren't changing. And we're seeing people like, like JP Morgan. There's a great headline. You know, JP Morgan loads the trillion dollar bazooka. That's what I quite liked. It. I thought it was a great headline, but it was they're talking about bringing all of this kind of like unused collateral on chain to make it useful. You know, and I think that to me is like you know, there's two things I think are going to drive the next rally in, in, in crypto. It's, you know, it's things like that. It's, it's the it's the use of you know, different collateral types to, to and bringing 
what are currently dead assets into the financial um, into the blockchain. And, and also regulation. When we see regulation really clear about what, what institutions can and can't do, all of this institutional capital sitting on the sideline is going to come flooding in. And you know what we've seen so far in crypto is really you know just the, you know, the the hobbyists, the early adopters. We haven't seen the real money come into the market yet. So that that to me is like you know that's going to take some time. But that that's what I'm I'm kind of excited about in crypto. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreykupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreykupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. And there's, there's so much I want to talk about because it's so interesting to me. <laughs> As somebody who does have some, you know, decades of perspective on the financial markets of various type and, and also the, you know, tech markets, that kind of stuff, you know, and has had clients throughout that entire time and has seen the ups and downs. First of all, uh, you know, with regard to regulation, you know, the fact, I agree with you. I mean, I, there's no question that crypto is going to get more and more regulated like everything else does uh, in my mind. That's what, uh, you know, my regulatory colleagues in the legal profession help the politicians do, which is, you know, to some purists, right? I mean, it's really the anathema, right? Of this decentralized, unregulated, you know, non, non-central bank, non-Fed reserve, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's, you know, there's a whole tension in that conversation, but at the same time, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, when that happens then, you know, more traditional uh, and institutional money, uh, becomes more comfortable coming in. So, you know, but it's interesting as a because there's a there's an ethos behind crypto, right? That is in, in conflict with it, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it really it really is, and I think you know the hardcore kind of you know, libertarian view is is that you know this is like hands off markets. You know, regulators should not be touching this. But like, there's just bad actors in the space. You've seen yeah. it everywhere. If if you're if you delved into some of these new protocols, you know, there's just predatory activities going on that aren't. If you want the average consumer to come in, otherwise it's just going to be professionals who are crypto natives just trying to rip each other off all day long. If you want kind of like more passive capital that's there to invest in the coins into the space, it needs regulation and it needs protection. And you need, you know, there's a lot of, and you know, people love the anonymity of crypto and things like that, but you shouldn't be trusting billions of dollars to people you don't know who they are and their backgrounds. And yeah, one of the biggest sort of protocols we saw out there. You know, there was uh, we saw that, you know, something like three or four billion dollars worth of customer assets there. And then it all crashed to zero because someone unmasked the person who was running it. It turned out they were like a convicted fraudster. But in a regulatory environment, you know, there's a fit and proper test for someone who, you know, to make sure that, you know, personally, if I give someone the money, I want to know where they are and who, who, who you know, if, if something, if they rip me off, who, who to go after. Right? It's sort of like, um, and, and, you know, it, it adds a lot, a, a big layer of, of accountability to the space. And, you know, I think it's all very well people saying, you know, it's you know, the regulators are going to overstep and things like that. And they probably will do initially. No question. Um, it will open up more opportunities. It will bring capital to the space. You know, I speak to big investment banks and that's always what they say. It's like the reason we're not in this space is because it's it's not clear from a regulatory perspective. So, you know, unless they think like there's, you know, there's going to be a shadow economy that's going to grow out of nowhere and everything's going to move, you know, against regulators will and we're all going to sort of do this, you know, this kind of gray market, which I don't think is going to happen. I think it's more that we're going to see blockchain tech merge with, with traditional finance. And that, that to me is the bigger opportunity. 
you know, you've got to welcome the regulators. You've got to work with them to, to try and make sure that they, they do a good job and it's all fit and proper regulation that they put in. Yeah. Yeah, no question. And listen, I, I, I agree with you that that's the inevitable trend, whether you know you like it or not, right? And, and listen, I'm not a guy who's a knee-jerk anti-regulation guy, and I'm not a guy, you know, you know, I have these conversations sometimes with folks who are very strongly in one position. And, you know, when you when you speak to them, there's always regulations they agree with. Like, you know, there's a law that says you shouldn't kill people. They, they, they gen- generally agree with that, right? That's that, that's a law. That's a regular, that's restricting your rights, right? They probably agree you shouldn't be traveling 130 miles an hour down a side street, you know, where kids are playing, right? So, I mean, I don't want to get into that conversation, but the point is that it's always a matter of the degree of regulation and what type of regulation. There's no true anti any regulation person out there that I'm aware of, at least, no matter how libertarian they are. But also, you know, you see it over and over again, right? History will tell you that, you know, the regulation is going to come. And listen, frankly, you know, what will happen is what happens every time. Yes, there will be some over-regulation because regulators tend to react to the bad stuff, and that which creates burdens for the, the honest folks in the industry, whether it's disclosure or paperwork or, you know, reporting or whatever. It's just, it's just part of the game. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing is for the industry to try to do the best they can to have the regulations be appropriate and tailored and not too burdensome and, and, you know, address the issues that can really be legit. Exactly. And I, th- I think what, what you find is like when there's a misunderstanding of how sort of the various segments of the market connect together, you know, there's all these unintended, I think, usually unintended consequences from certain types of regulation, you know, and I think that's an education piece, which, you know, there's, there's things around like, where you've got developers who are helping build DeFi protocols and um, you know, decentralized protocols. And people are saying, well, if you're a developer who's done that, then you're on the hook, you know, like, and I, you know, that's sort of like, that's something where you know, it wouldn't happen if you built a bit of a bank software, you know, you wouldn't expect to be on the hook if that bank then went and sort of, you know, didn't use it how you originally intended. So yeah, it needs to be careful. I think we've proved in, especially in the last couple of weeks is all very well in a bull market when everything's going up, but you know, just as Madoff came out in, in 2008, I think it was, or 2009, you know, when you see the, you know, when you see prices drop off, that's where all everyone's dirty laundry comes out. So, you know, it's sort of, that's what we're, what we're, we're defending against. And you know, it's, regulations are kind of there for the bad times, not the good times, you know, the, the, you know that's where they really have show their value. Yeah, no, no question. Yeah. The, and the other uh, thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, you talked about obviously Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, on the one hand, and then, you know, sort of really having to do your due diligence uh, beyond that. You know, even with them, it's interesting. You know, so now I'm going in my mind to the tech conversation, right? And, and, and you know, and early leaders in various, you know, uh, tech, you know, who are not, you know, don't end up being the survivors, right? You know, so people have heard the examples over and over again. I won't, I won't give them. So, you know, it's an even interesting question as to whether whatever, you know, level or the, or the two or three after that of, of, of the crypto uh, and blockchain world is whether, you know, the Bitcoins and the Ethereum's the current leaders will be the ones there. Yeah, it is. You're right. It's an odd situation that we're in because you know if you compare it to like the MySpace, MySpace got like you know was out of business and Facebook, you know, and it was the first one kind of made all the mistakes, didn't get the adoption, and then the second one was very could just see what the issue was and, and go from then. We sort of saw that a bit with you know Bitcoin was there, it's very fixed. It's you know nothing's going to change Bitcoin. It's fixed forever. The code is you know the code is law. It's there. You know it's what's called proof of work. Nothing's going to change that. There's only ever going to be 21 million. The purists love that because you know there's nothing you can tamper with it. That sort of thing. But you know it's quite it's quite like a dumb protocol. And that's kind of where Ethereum appeared, where it's like okay, well we want to be the internet of money, and right. you know the 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 unit of which is going to be Ether. And yeah, everyone knows ETH and 
you know, you're going to be able to program apps on top of this. And it's much more of like a, you know, there's a, a lot more utility that you can get, but sort of, so you'd think, well, you know, that has a purpose you know, alongside Bitcoin, but it's, and it's weird that they, the two haven't. And we've, um, there's a lot of, of what's called layer one solutions, which is they're kind of trying to compete with Ethereum because Ethereum has a lot of issues, you know, both primarily transaction costs. If you're trying basic transactions, you know, they can cost you know, 15, $20, you know, which is ridiculous if you want to build an app that's kind of a, a mass payment app that you can use for, you know, for micropayments in the shop. It just doesn't work because transaction costs are too high. So a lot of people have come out and said, well, you know, we're going to build new sort of consensus models on new brand new chains. So things like, you know, Near or Ava or Avalanche or Solana and things like that. But they're, they're all, you know, and this is, they all need to find their own level of, of adoption as well. You know, I think that's going to be a slight challenge because even Ethereum has struggled with adoption. And now we're saying, actually, you know, there's going to be a multi-chain world that, you know, we, that we need to do. So there's quite a lot of barriers and sort of to, to sort of scaling and, and, you know, the, the network effect that these, these competitors have to get by. And given the current market conditions, everyone has just gone back to safety, which is the Ethereum blockchain and all of these, all of these other uh, alternatives are, you know, are going to struggle until you know, people want to take the risk of different change or they do something that's so innovative that it forces people away. And they haven't really done that yet. So um, it seems to be why they're there. And sometimes then I'm wondering, uh, is actually, a, I don't know the answer to this question because I don't understand the tech side enough. You know, in, in other markets where there is a shakeout, what you see is, is acquisitions, right? You know, the stronger competitors buying up the weaker ones on discounts. But, you know, if, if we're talking about different, different chains and different, you know, I mean, what is your thought on whether, you know, the, we'll, we'll see any of that happen in the marketplace? I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think, I think it does, yeah, because it, it, it does feel like there is a barrier to, you know, DAOs, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations. It feels like there is a big barrier and it's a big tech barrier for these companies to merge, it's much more common that they just die and the assets move. Yeah. Because what's really what's really interesting about blockchain is the code that builds these new apps. It's completely public. Yeah. And, you know, you've seen it with people just doing copy and paste jobs on, you know, on, on, on each other's protocols over and over and over again to the point where it all, almost stops um, innovation because people think, well, I can make a quick buck by just copy and pasting this, rebranding it, and, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, maybe putting it on a different chain or something like that. And it's, it's, it's weird because like the value is actually the community with a lot of these protocols and, right. you know, that, and that community can almost weirdly can be almost be a little bit fickle and it's difficult to sort of judge the value of it. But I think, you know, and if, and if you look at kind of the crypto centralized space where, you know, exchanges and things like that, there's been very little MA there as well. Yeah. Um, Seems to be people buying specific technology or you know specialist services, but none of them you know would would you know Coinbase merge with like you know Kraken or Binance? You know, it almost feels like it's more too much of the same thing. You know, it's not it's it's like you just get more of the same thing. And this is probably something that you you're, you're better placed than me to answer. But it's you know when it it's like there's not a lot of kind of you know complementary businesses out there because it's an exchange adding an exchange is just adding more of the same i think that's um yeah yeah maybe i'm wrong i'm missing something there but it, yeah it doesn't seem like it's a particularly active MA environment at all yeah and, and you know that's sort of why i asked the question i mean my that was my sense right like unlike 
you know, it's tougher to compare this to other uh, situations, you know, other industries where there's been some challenging economic times and, and you know, and, and, and there is a lot of consolidation because the stronger players buy up the weaker players. Uh, you know, my sense, a lot of these technology and other, and you know, the things which would, would be in the way. But again, I'm, you know, I, I know enough, I understand enough of the technology side of, of, of blockchain and, and, and crypto to not, not even to be dangerous yet. So, uh, you know, that's why I think I, I get, um, yeah, but the, I, I did have a sense that that might very well be the case. So that's interesting because it creates a different market and, you know, um, you know, and, and can there be value salvage for any of those assets? Now they do have, you know, they do have users, right? Customers, you know, whatever you want to call them, you know, maybe is, you know, there's an opportunity. I mean, those deals aren't that as lucrative, but, you know, to just combine in for the purposes of getting access to customer lists, you know, but, but in any case, um, so let's go back a little bit to your core business. And um, so, so how does it work when most people think about getting interest on, on a financial, you know, asset on money on whatever it is, right. On, you know, on equities, whatever it is, only a couple of ways, usually it's not, I mean, either you're depositing, you know, again, in the normal, you know, uh, currency markets, uh, you know, you're depositing money at an institution that holds that money and then, gives you interest on it, um, you know, or, you know, you are at least, you know, putting it up as some sort of collateral, right, you know, where they can access it. So, like, tie that into how actually your company and product work. How does it work? I mean, there's always, there's two questions we get all the time, which is, you know, how do you generate the yield and what are the risks? And, you know, they are the right questions to be asking, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's fair to say, if you look at the wider yield landscape and, you know, everyone does not generate yield in the same way. And so and the risk profile is, is probably poorly understood by a lot of investors. So, you know, we've recently this this week, we've just seen a, one, probably one of the biggest players in the in the lending, crypto lending and yield space, Celsius, you know, close, close withdrawals. And, you know, some serious questions being asked about their solvency. And that's because they, you know, from, from you know, from the surface, and, you know, obviously this is all speculation, you know, that, that we have and, you know, no, no dispersions cast, but it appears that it's, it's just a classic liquidity trap that they've got themselves into, whereby, you know, essentially they, you know, customer gives, the customer A gives them an asset. Yep. Um, they need to generate yield on it. So just like a bank, you know, they will lend out assets, you know, to other counterparties, institutions that, that you know that have capital-intensive businesses that need need liquidity, and and essentially what they've done is they've looked at that, and there's a yield curve in in crypto as there is in traditional money. So you know, the longer you lend some something to someone, uh, up to a point, say six months, um, the higher the yield you're going to receive for that period, and you know you that's how you manage your book like a normal treasury operation. But the the difference being is that the depositor is is given instant liquidity. So in the case of, uh, of, of some of these large lenders, what you found is that the you know, market conditions have deteriorated and people have started saying, you know what, I want my money back. And then they've, you know, sort of on, because everything is so transparent on chain, you can see exactly what these big institutions are doing with your money, how they're lending it. And, you know, there's rumor after rumor where you can see, okay, they put it into that protocol, but that protocol after they put the money there, was hacked and a hundred million was lost. So who lost a hundred million? And was it your money? Was it the customer's money? And, you know, and you, you see four or five of those happening. You're saying, hold on a second. I know you raised 750 grand, 750 million or something last year, but oh, there's about $400 million missing already from just, you know, what we can find. And all of a sudden the, you know, the market says, okay, well, let's, let's really go for it. Let's, um, let's go have a run on, on the institution, start pulling it out. And obviously, you know, the liquid element of their book then gets, gets depleted and the only option they have is to, is to cease withdrawals and 
you know, the, the real hope is that it's just the fact that it's liquidity and not solvency, really. And, you know, they, they're able to cover themselves. So in terms of how a crew does it, you know, we we are very much 100% transparent. So, you know, when you go to a bank, you deposit your money, they lend it out. You've got no idea who they're lending it to. Um, we're, we, we've got quite a nice a couple of products on the, on the platform whereby you we use third parties. One of them is called Maple Finance, which has sort of pioneered this. And you can see straight away the money that you've put in, you can click and you can see the you can see the loan book. Yep. So right away I'd say this is the institution, and there's say 50 institutions. This is the, the you know the the interest rate they've paid. This is the you know the the term of the loan. You know, we're not taking that liquidity risk. Whereas, you know, on this platform, you know, it's a 30 day, it's a 90 day time for money. We say to customers, it's a 90 day time. Yes. Um, you know, and you get your yield, and here's who, you know, here's who you're lending to. And, you know, there is a credit manager there, but ultimately it's your responsibility to, to understand if you want to do that. And I think that's kind of the future of crypto is that level of transparency. That's I think that will attract people from traditional finance who, you know, throw money into, into funds. You know, there's been some big scandals in the last few years in the UK where, you know, again, it usually comes back to liquidity. And, um, you know, you see what a fund manager is doing. And it wasn't quite what you thought they were doing. And you know, everyone loses their money. So I think that's, you know, we're, we're very, very aware that that's what we want to do. It's a hundred percent transparency. And, you know, it, it, and I think, you know, a lot of people think we're giving away trade secrets and things like that, but I, I don't think we are. I think that's going to be the new thing that people demand, especially in the, in these kind of market conditions. Imagine, imagine if you had that level of transparency during the 2008, you know, um, financial crisis where you could see the banks, a, a live valuation of the bank's PNL. Um, yep. Obviously, as we know, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, credit derivatives were, were hard to value and went from being a hundred hundred cents on the dollar to being actually, yeah, they're 10 cents on the dollar. But um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah and, it, and it, it makes sense to me. And, you know, and as we talked about earlier with, uh, you know, at some point when institutions are going to come in, obviously their level of due diligence is going to be totally different. And even, you know, I, we represent hundreds of, of uh, investment advisors, right? Financial advisors, people who manage money in the independent space in the U S here. And, um, you know, and there are a lot of them, you know, some of them are dipping into crypto, but a lot of them, I mean, I referred a friend over to somebody and, and they, they rejected him because he had too much in crypto, right? They didn't. Yeah. And yeah. He, was, he was even like, you know, don't uh, forget my crypto, just manage all this other stuff I got. And they're like, yeah. no, we're not comfortable with that. So, you know, over time, obviously, when there's more transparency so that they can do, you know, more due diligence and they can evaluate, uh, you know, the risk and the investment better and the yield curve and all that kind of stuff like they do on more traditional financial products. That also, you know, will will we'll free that up. I mean, it's tough, especially for somebody who's a fiduciary, right? Who's an advisor. I mean, you know, you, you you've been in that world. Um, you know, it's it's tough for them. They, they have a fiduciary duty to the client, and if they can't do, you know, and if there's such a lack of transparency, you know, it's tough for them to recommend. I get it. I totally understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I without diving too much into it, I just I feel like most crypto, you know, investors just aren't doing it right. You know, they are they're kind of. Um, they're getting they're getting like the highly concentrated version of crypto when they should be getting the balanced version of crypto. And um, you know, like I look at my own portfolio and the way I the way I manage it is, you know, I, I don't want ten percent daily volatility on you know on this. And it's you know, it's a bigger part of my overall portfolio than it would be of any normal person's portfolio because of where I work. Where I work. But you know, it's I have fifty percent of my crypto assets are currently sitting in crypto that's pegged to the value of the dollar. So what's called stable coins, yep. earning a high yield. And yep. then the other 50%, 25% of it is in what's is in a trend following system, which um, 
what that does is, you know, when market conditions, you know, begin to be positive, it starts adding crypto exposure. Um, so this same trend following trend following model, when you know, when Bitcoin was at sixty nine thousand, and they had dropped, it started dropping and dropping, and then it dropped through sixty thousand. It flipped me into cash. Mm-hmm. So right there and then, you know, you've you've missed the the whole de- decline from sixty thousand down to twenty thousand, and you end up with a you know, that that model over the last few years has sort of outperformed Bitcoin's return by sort of five X. And then and then you have that market exposure, which at the moment, given what market conditions are, is only 25 percent, obviously losing money, a lot of money on that. Yes. Um, but it's, um, you know, and I think that, you know, it's basically taking 50 percent of the exposure to like the real kind of like nasty crypto um, like swings. Um, the average investor should not be doing that all in. But obviously. You know, I think a lot of people fans, they put money in to begin with. It went up so much, it became a massive part of their net worth. Right. And now it's just gone back down again. You know, and it's um, you know, pretty soul-destroying stuff for a lot of people who, who are overcommitted. Yeah, total. and listen, you know, again, that's not the problem. I mean, you know, you've seen people do that. I mean, it's listen, when I, I remember when I was a just thought out as an attorney, you know, it was back in the day, and I the office on you know, uh in this, in, in Manhattan and yeah, I would get calls from all of these brokers trying to sell me on some hot, hot tip stocks, put a chunk of money in and right, I'd take a concentrated position on the next whatever, you know, yeah. maybe for Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. You know, so, you know, there's no, I mean, investor uh, approach, you know, diversified portfolio versus trying to beat the market, time the market, pick stocks, whatever it is, you know, I mean, it's, a, you're talking about the same mentality difference, right? In a different yeah you know, in, 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 in a different vehicle. So, uh, I mean, same, same human nature, isn't it? It's always, yeah, always the, you know, just, 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 yeah. Carried across different asset classes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, uh, we're coming to the end here. So, um, before I ask my final question, just let people know, well, actually a few things I want, I want you to make sure they know who's, who's your typical client, right? What kind of person, you know, are you looking for and would be a good fit for you? Where can they find out more about your company? And then if you want to say anything about your book, mention that, and then we'll go to the final question. In terms of our, our average customer tends to be, you know, the, I guess, someone, a, a, an investor who is like a time poor investor who has had a, you know, has got, a, got an existing portfolio, wants to get into crypto, understands, look, this should be no more than 5%, 10% of my portfolio. Um, you know, because it's been the it's been the best performing asset class in the last ten years. So you know, I think I should have some exposure to it. You know, over maybe bonds or some of that, which are probably improving. But um, you know, so that would be our average our average customer. And you know, someone who wants you know they they want a bit of hand holding through the process. And you know, they're happy to you know we've got a really easy to use app. So you know, obviously have a have a bit of um technical expertise there to be able to just download it. Um, would be would be easy to. In terms of you know, finding out more, accrue um, aqru.io, um, you know, is the is our website. And you know, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I love chatting to people. We've got a Telegram group as well, um, you know, which is which is great. Um, and you know, we've got a really lively community with fifty thousand people in it now. Um, so you know, across across all of our socials and stuff. So you know, there's plenty of feedback, both you know, good and people telling me to get a move on with stuff all the time. So you know, it's it's, it's all there. And uh, yeah, in terms of the book, you know, I wrote the money triangle to sort of help people just just really understand, you know, their finances. So if people are, you know, maybe they're just feeling like they're not saving enough, they don't think their spending's under control, or you know, they're they're looking for little, you know, trying to improve their, their, you know, the get to be front of line, front of the queue when they get the next job promotion, or you know, looking at um, 
yeah, just being able to add a little bit as a side hustle. Um, you know, that's what the book's there for. It's, you know, you, you try, try to illustrate it with lots of stories, like, you know, the Walmart employee that it's worth like $30 million and the, um, you know, the, these sorts of things and, uh, you know, the lottery winner that's worth zero, um, that sort of stuff. So, you know, there's a few, few hopefully a few funny anecdotes in there, which people would enjoy and, and, you know, and, a, and a couple of good messages as well that people can take away from it. Right. And they can, I assume they can find that in all the usual, usual yeah, places. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, Amazon, it's Kindle, Kindle or, um, yeah, Kindle or, or paperback. So, yeah, just uh, check it out, the money triangle on, uh, on, on Amazon. Excellent. So my final question on the podcast is always about my highest value in life, which is freedom. And for me, that means everything from freedom from all people around the world from oppression to why I'm an entrepreneur and haven't had a boss in 30 years. Uh, you know, uh, there's an aspect of freedom that analyzes some of the crypto, you know, ethos as well, right? You know, what, is, what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Freedom for me is, is really just being able to choose how I spend my, how I spend my time. And um, yeah, really that, that is, that is the, that's the core of it. In terms of how that is reflecting our business, you know, I try to respect people's time by, you know, we are a, we're a remote business. I tell, you know, we're fully flexible, work when you want, where you want, and, uh, you know, take as much holiday as you want. You know, it's down to the management team to, to create a, you know, a vision everyone's excited about and that you want to work towards and, and clear KPIs as to what needs to be achieved. But outside of that, you know, I employ people who don't want me on their, on their case. And, um, you know, if they need me on their case, they probably don't last very long, you know, cause it's, um, that's not, not my style and it's not the culture that, that, that we are. So, you know, we're looking for people who want to, you know, they're passionate about their work, but want the freedom to, to spend their time around, you know, when they're working as they see fit. So, yeah, that that's what it would be for me. Well, Willis, thank you very much for being a great guest on the DealQuest podcast. Pleasure. Thanks so much, Corey. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.